0: is still in as relapse comes up above the
1: Hello and welcome to episode 311 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I'm Andrew Brokus, joined by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts, I assume.
2: Melrose, Massachusetts. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Happy Halloween.
2: Happy Halloween. I'm also thinking about one of of the 90s bands I think is underrated, namely 311. So suitable if if memory serves they got their name because that was the like crime code for public urination in california <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh how's how's pagoda springs and uh, why the hell are you in pagoda springs and what is that
1: Pagosa with an s um, uh, it's uh, sort of, well, at least the area that we're in, a pretty rural part of uh, Colorado, which is why my internet connection is a little sketchy, but it seems to be holding out on us right now. Um, and mostly it was a cheap place to get an Airbnb and get some writing done.
2: That sounds good. That sounds good.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. and, so, and uh, out from a poker sequel is is coming along I had not touched it for a little while but I'm getting back into it and again and looking at it with fresh eyes which is useful
2: good I think everybody's glad to hear you're writing um another book in this in this genre the first one seems to be well received
1: yeah it's uh it, it's surpassed my expectations for it which is why there's a second one I was not planned <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, very good
1: um, anything else to talk about or should we should we just get straight into strategy we can tell people we, we don't have a guest this week um, we have hopefully two strategy hands to get through one of them is a PLO8 hand which is pretty exciting
2: yeah yeah we should probably do hold them first because more people care about that but oh, PLO8 no, is, I, is, I, is I coming
1: fully disagree I think PLO8 first we, it's so rare for the PLO8 people to get to hear uh, a PLO8 hand I'm, I'm much more excited about the PLO8 hand
2: All right. (laughs) If you can't wait, let's do the PLO8 hat.
1: (laughs) Yep. First, I should tell people, actually, this hand was inspired by Tournament Poker Edge, but Tournament Poker Edge also is our strategy sponsor. So if you want to learn more poker strategy, mostly No Limit Strategy, but you can find some PLO8 videos on there from, well, technically it's from you and me, but it's really you teaching me PLO8 concepts. I shouldn't claim that I'm contributing a lot of strategy content, but you can find that along with hundreds of other videos in the Tournament Poker Edge archive which you will have access to along with the new videos that they release almost every day at www.tournamentpokeredge.com. This hand is coming to us from Rob. And Rob says... I saw that Nate had a PLO8 series on Tournament Poker Edge and decided to try my hand at some mixed games. I watched the series and then played a few tournaments on Ignition. I have a hand from a $3, $200 guaranteed PLO8 tournament that I would like to get your thoughts on. I think I made some big mistakes, but the hand prompted a couple questions I had about PLO slash PLO8 in general. It's the 6120 level. Uh, Starting stacks are 5K, Hero has 5,400. main villain has 4k so we're looking at effective stacks of like 35 big blinds somewhere in that neighborhood um under the gun hijack and cut off limp to the hero who's in the big blind with seven of spades five of clubs three of hearts two of spades so seven five three two with a pretty poor spade draw uh, and our hero checks that seems not at all controversial
2: that is correct do not raise this hand <laughs> uh it's among three three-to-a-wheel hands. It's one of the very worst, so that's um, it's bad. Yeah, it don't really raise it. Makes a big Good difference job
1: whether or not you have an ace uh, in, in your hand in terms of your your low draws. Low draws without an ace. Uh, well, they can be decent on boards that have an ace on them, but in terms of pre-flop uh, hand value, not too many of them are worth playing. Yep. Uh, as far as reads on opponents, I don't have much as it's anonymous. And to be honest, I was focused more on learning the game than getting reads. Um, Oh, one question—sort of a, a broad question—he asked concerning preflop stacks is uh, what's the best way to think of the size of your stack? You know, do, do you think of it in terms of big blind or M, and when would you consider yourself short stacked?
2: Yeah. It's a big subject. I talk about that a lot in the TP video series. So not to leave people with an ad because, I mean, <laughs> you know, for a lot of reasons, um, like uh, it's like five years old also, but um, <clears throat> there's a lot to think about. Uh, I'll say it's not like no limit and um, it depends a lot on your hand type. So you want to be thinking about how many bets. Are going to be in in the stack like like how many pot sized bets will there be and what kind of hand type do you have? So there are some hands that you're happy to inflate the pot with because they they can get one or two bets in profitably, but but not so much three, and they benefit from the preflop action. Then there are other hands. Um, where you, but then if the stacks are much deeper, what what you lose by inflating the pot is is much much more. Um, there are other hands that you would rather check because they'll benefit more from the last action. So I mean the 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 concepts are the same as in hold'em, but it just it comes up all the time, like just all 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 the time. Like what size pot do I want to play with this hand? Um, and then it also gets messed up because like you you will have to be playing for part of the pot sometimes like you really don't want to be playing for part of the pot and you need to get out um early often when you do that but you can only do that at some stacked ups and some like so there's a question about whether to tie yourself to the pot and leave yourself playing for half sometimes um how bad will your equity be when you have half there's a big difference between this hand which is almost nothing on the high side and a hand with like a little bit of high value there's a lot to think about um here we're very deep and we have a hand that is like pretty bad, can flop something, which is good, but um, we we really don't want to inflate this pot and leave ourselves with stacks that are still very deep um, with a hand that will play very badly, will play very badly out of position, will really get punished with the deep action, etc.
1: I, I wonder if part of his question and asking when do you consider yourself short stacked is um, thinking of like a no limit equivalent where you kind of go into a, a jam or fold mode when you have say 12 big blinds or fewer um, and
2: yeah don't think like that never don't think yeah don't uh yeah because you get half the pot like you don't just put your money in like a sometimes you put half your stack your, your stack in and then fold because you flop like no equity and that's not something that happens in hold them like very often it's like you have eight big blinds and then you open to you know two or three big blinds um, makes a big difference but you know put that aside for now uh, then you get called then the flop comes bad, and somebody pots it into you, and you have no equity, so you fold. So now you have five big blinds. And does that happen very often in Hold'em? No. No, it does not, for a lot of reasons. Um, so, yeah, there's not like this sort of 10-big blind threshold. Um, uh, yeah, the same way. And I just said rudely what you were about to say. <laughs> so, go ahead.
1: No, that, that's all. Um, <laughs> so, the, the flop is... Jack of spades, eight of clubs, deuce of clubs. Our hero again has seven, five, three, two with two spades. So he technically has a backdoor spade draw, but uh, drawing to a, uh, you know, if, if, if the big spade in your hand is a seven, that's generally not worth all that much. Um, and then he also has five, three for a not particularly great low draw. Uh, the way he describes this, he says, I have a meh low draw and have some opportunities to turn some equity. But one of the questions that this hand made me think about in general is the importance of having an ace, especially multiway. Would it be fair to say you need an ace to win the low multiway if not heads up? With that being said, right now all I have is seven high and no made low. Um, what do you think about that question of, you know do you need an ace to uh, to win the low, especially multi-way? Um,
2: I mean... Heuristics will only get you so far. Um, multi-way, you want to have a really good low draw. It matters a lot if, like, if the ace is on board. So, one thing that matters a lot is, um, Whether there's an ace or a deuce on board, if there's no ace-deuce on board, like a lot of people play a lot of ace-deuces for good reason, so there's a big difference between the nuts and not the nuts, and even if you have like ace-four, you do not want to be saying, "Uh, hey, I have an ace and and a low, you know, I've, I've I've got the low to the ace. Uh, so that that's one thing on the other hand if you have that same ace four and there's a deuce on board um, then you have the second nut low that's a lot better than other second nut lows because the ace deuce is not the nut low um, and similar reasoning applies for the aces um, yeah I mean you really 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 want to have aces um Usually you will because if you're v-pipping, you probably have an ace because you have four heart cards and it's not that hard to get an ace. And if you don't have an ace, your hand is probably really, really bad and you should be folding. So, the you know, a lot of aces are going to be out there. One of my favorite World Series moments ever is a really good uh, mixed game player who spoke who speaks, like, not that much English. Um, seeing the river card of an ace, like, 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 he went deep into the tank on the turn and you could see him, like, trying to figure out what people had. And he clearly thought that there were no aces left in the deck. I mean, nobody should have thought that there were any aces left in the deck. And so he like put in a lot of money. And then the river came an ace, which meant that somebody was just like way out of line. It was like a World (laughs) Series event, like like very. It's like two in the morning, right? One of these like afternoon events, and it's like two in the morning. We've been playing all day, and like you know, like sort of tough. It's all locals, etc. And then like the ace hits the river at two in the morning. This like extremely good elite. A uh, 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 player who probably should not have been playing in this like 3K tournament or whatever like jumped out of his <laughs> jumped out of his chair. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> again, like it, not much English was coming out of that chair. <laughs> it, was, it was very fun after like eight hours of playing this guy. Okay. Yeah, anyway, like uh, uh, point being, most people uh, have aces most of the time. What was the question? Uh, yeah, you have a bad hand. Uh, so so our, our hero flopped a deuce and a bad low draw and he has nothing and it's multi-way you, you have nothing you have nothing you seem to recognize you have nothing, which is good. You checked you haven't be pipped you have uh, no low hand or you have no high hand and a really bad low draw which Could very easily not get there and even if it does get there You don't want to put a lot of money in with possibly not even any money anyway
1: so here's what ends up happening. Uh, he does check under the gun, bets 120 into a pot of 540. Hijack calls, and when it folds back around to our hero, he says, uh, I'm getting, even though I don't have too much here, I'm getting seven and a half to one, so I make the call. Um, that strikes me as like the, the kind of analogous um, no limit logic that I would use, and I think this concept maybe applies at least as well in PL08, is the idea of equity realization. That even if you had a certain amount of equity in a multi way pot, which you very well may not, um, like I think there's a fair chance he doesn't even have the like 12. 12- equity that he would need to make this call. Um, I think even if he had it, there's also the problem of you're not necessarily gonna get to realize all of that equity. Like you can easily get bet off of a hand, like um, you can get bet off of a bad low pretty easily. You can get bet off of like, trips or two pair pretty easily in a circumstance where they might be the best hand. Like imagine the turn is a five, like there's a chance that two pair is, is good for half the pot. but you know, if someone has ace three or ace four, they're probably gonna blast away at it and, and um, quite possibly push you off of, of that hand. So I think that you would struggle to realize the equity because your, your equity isn't nutty, because so many of like none of your outs really are to the nuts, except maybe like backdoor straight draw. Um, but you, you have very little in the way of, uh, of, of nuttiness to your hand. Yeah, um,
2: you know, one of my, like, aha moments in poker was reading about uh, the horse race paradox by, yeah, as Sklansky put it in one of the Sklansky books, or possibly several of the Sklansky books, and the idea is that um, sometimes, is this the horse race paradox? I think it is. Sometimes your your chances of winning the pot go down faster than the pot odds help you out. Um, so... Like, the the pot odds are not actually a good thing in some sense here. So, like, our correspondent says, I'm getting seven and a half to one, so I make the call. But, like, the reason you're getting seven and a half to one is in part because you have two opponents. Like if there were a third opponent, so you were getting eight and a half to one, this call would be even worse. It would not be better. (laughs) Um, And you have like the texture of hand where two pair is not going to be good very often. Like if you're just up against one opponent, maybe like that person's counterfeit for the low. So your low draw has a little more uh, value to it. But like the pot odds are like what's juicing the pot odds is more bad for you than good. Um, Yeah, this is like a really great hand. I'm really glad. Uh, uh, he wrote in and it it, it illustrates like he's asking a lot of questions that a lot of people ask and like if I were to sort of invent uh, an interlocutor to like uh, (laughs) you know sort of to, to sort of like pose questions that I think would illuminate uh, common beliefs about PLO8 that I could say something about you know uh, it would be something like this I think so um, great questions great hand um, fold, 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 fold this hand on the flop please uh,
1: he did not fold this hand on the flop instead he got uh, uh, the the four of clubs turn so the board now is jack of spades eight of clubs two of clubs four of clubs and our hero has seven five three deuce um he has the five of clubs as sort of a very poor um flush blocker but uh i mean the 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 backdoor spades are not coming in he doesn't have any hope of making uh, any kind of flush here he does have an open-ended straight draw um he says my met low draw has turned into a math made low hand and I'm up and down to a wheel slash seven high straight, but the flush has come in. My hand isn't strong enough to value bet, but has a decent amount of showdown value. I check again under the gun. That's four fifty. hijack folds. Do you agree? He has a decent amount of showdown value. Uh,
2: yes, but not enough to call. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would fold this hand like pretty easily. Um, you do have showdown value, but, um, Like, the straight draw is largely an illusion. Um, You could be, like, A, because it's going to be hard to make the straight. Like, there's only one card to come, and your opponent's likely to have blockers to it. Um, Second, the flush has already come in, Um, so your opponent could have a flush. And, like, you might be thinking, oh, my opponent doesn't have a flush. Uh, or probably doesn't have a flush. It's hard to make a flush. It's like, well, your opponent has four cards. Uh, but <laughs> and, also and you had two opponents. You know, he's so got to like, have something. He's
1: Two, two people yeah, solve exactly, the turn yeah. with you. I mean, th- this gets to your point about how having more players in the pot isn't actually a good thing for you. Like, the, the likelihood of someone having a flush is a good deal higher in a multi-way pot.
2: Yeah, and, like let's say your opponent does not have like so you have the third nut low let's say your opponent does not have one of the better nut lows either a he's blasting off for no reason which like is a bad idea in theory and nobody does it in practice (laughs) (laughs) um or he has you probably drawing dead for high so i mean you 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 would almost like rather i mean if he has you beat for low you might have some counterfeit yeah probably not Uh, yeah yeah you you, like three outs to chop a wheel yeah Um, like probably you're drawing dead or very very close to dead for at least half the pot and then sometimes you get scooped and here's the thing like if these were your last 450 ships then maybe you would have to like make a crying call because you do have the low sometimes actually no I think it's still a fold Um, but it's at least, like, close, and I would want to do math on it. Um, but since there's betting to come, it's, like, a, a pretty straightforward um, uh, fold. This is a trap hand on the turn. I'm really glad you wrote in. It looks like a call. It is not a call. You should fold the flop. You should also fold the turn, and that's counterintuitive. So hooray for writing in, not hooray for calling.
1: You <laughs> called uh the river is the six of clubs so final board is jack of spades eight of clubs deuce of clubs four of clubs six of clubs our hero has seven five three deuce so he does make a straight on the river he has a kind of bad low he has a five of clubs blocker for whatever that's worth and he says the river brought up another conceptual question for me what does a fourth card to a suit and the occasional fifth card to a suit do to a board texture in uh, PLO or PLO 8. I remember hearing Andrew and Carlos, I think, talking about how in Hold'em when the fourth to a suit card, uh, fourth card to a suit comes down, non-flush hands drastically decrease in showdown value due to the risk of your opponent having a naked uh, card of that suit. But in Omaha, it doesn't change whether or not anyone had a flush. Uh, you either had one on the previous street or you still don't. My intuition is it obviously makes it less likely that either player has a flush, but unless it's the ace, it doesn't affect uh, by that much. Is that flawed thinking?
2: Nope. It is correct thinking. It 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 does it, like it matters a little bit, um, but unless it's a key card, it's not that much.
1: <laughs> uh, our hero checks, villain bets half pot again. Um, do we think hero can uh take home enough of this pot to justify calling?
2: Yeah, I mean we have a straight and if your opponent has a better straight or a flush, there's some chance you win the low. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a crying call. Yeah. Don't don't raise.
1: The, yeah. this, this is the one time that you don't have equity realization <sighs> problems because now when you call, you do actually get one hundred percent of your equity, and you get to go straight to showdown, and then there's no more getting bet off of your hand. So yeah, I, I think like having gotten this far in the hand, it it strikes me as a call anyway. But uh, it's sort of like the fact that this is one of the like best case river scenarios especially after calling the turn like we got the river card we wanted and we still don't feel that good about calling a half pot bet like that's a good indication of why you want to fold the turn
2: yeah yeah and like getting back to preflop actually I'll, I'll, I'll mention that later first let's talk about the river some more um, but I don't have anything more to say it just you know call but it's a crying call uh, if, you, if you'd bet the full pot It'd be more of a decision. It could go either way, uh, but you got to call a half-pot bet having gotten this far, but you should not have gotten this far. Uh, when I'm assessing PLO8 hands, sometimes sort of over the felt, it can be useful to briefly imagine it's a PLO hand, and I can think about how happy I would be to see it. And here, if I saw seven five three deuce with one suit, I would think I had absolutely nothing in PLO, like just absolutely nothing ever. Um, and and it can be useful. Like, when you're in PLO8 mode, you you can think, like, oh, I can make a wheel. That's a straight. Straights are good. But, like, if you put on your PLO glasses for a second, you can remember, oh, I have absolutely nothing for high. (laughs) I have a terrible, terrible, terrible high hand. And that can be useful. So, uh, yes, thank you for writing in.
1: Sorry, gang. Uh, I ended up having some problems with my internet. As I mentioned in the introduction, I'm in a pretty remote area right now using satellite internet, and uh, Nate and I were not able to continue our conversation. So the second strategy hand is gonna be me solo. Makes me all the more glad that we got the PLO 8 in first because that was the part where I really needed Nate's help. He is certainly our resident PLO 8 expert. I'm uh, merely a dabbler. Before I get into the hand I want to share with you some breaking news and amazing email that I just received from listener Yaga Smurf who uh, is already one of my favorite uh thinking poker twitter or members of the thinking poker twitter community he's uh, tweeted some great pictures of himself reading play optimal poker and listening to the podcast uh just a real cool looking dude across the board um some of you may remember from episode 300 that Carlos Welch uh, shared a story about uh, over-exercising, essentially. Um, he did a bunch of arm curls, and the next day his arms were really sore, and um, he ended up actually having a potentially fatal condition called, um, I think, rhabdomyolysis. Oh, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, basically, he had like destroyed his muscles and it was in danger of like having the protein from the muscles, I guess, like leach into his bloodstream. I don't really know the details. I'm not a doctor, but it was a potentially fatal situation. And Carlos almost didn't go to the um, to the emergency room, but he ended up sharing this on the podcast. So here's the email that I got from Yagas Murph today. He says, I'm not only a dedicated listener to the Thinking Poker podcast. I am also a pediatrician. Today in my office, a teen came in who had been really sore from overexercising several days earlier, but was just a little sore today. Because of the podcast where Carlos discussed his near kidney failure, I was more diligent than usual about asking for her initial symptoms, and I got some lab work. I ended up admitting her to the hospital for, again, this word, rhabdomyolysis. Uh, Carlos definitely helped me practice optimal pediatrics today. Uh, That's a great story, Yaga Smurf. I'm so glad to hear that uh, that story helped. Love that you're listening to the show. Love that you're sharing with us. I guess I don't love that this girl ended up having this uh, issue, but um, it does make for an amazing story. Anyway, on to the second hand of our strategy segment. Where did I put those details? This is from a 2-3 no limit game with a $1 button ante, or maybe it's a $1 post from the button, like it might be live, but regardless, uh, it's a a 1-2-3 game, $2, $3 blinds, $1 on the button. Our hero is the effective stack with $440, Uh, villain is in early position, hero is in the big blind. Villain limps in early position, middle position raises to $10, one caller. Our hero calls with King Jack offsuit from the big blind, and villain, uh, the early position limper, calls. So I do think this is a call. I think it's probably not as profitable as a call as some people might assume. This is actually a good example of, um, you know we were talking about in the, the PLO 8 hand, the idea that just because you're getting better pot odds doesn't necessarily mean that um, calling is more profitable because that extra player in the pot is also taking equity away from you. And King Jack offsuit is not a hand that does that well in a four way pot. So the main reason I'm calling here is just that you're getting a relatively good price to call since you already have the $3 committed it's not a terrible hand for a multi-way pot but you do have to be careful when you make something like top pair and um yeah i mean the, the, these offsuit broadway hands don't fare that well a multi-way pot stronger ones i would want a three bet here like probably ace jack plus i would be looking to three bet king queen maybe also king jack i think is a little too weak to three bet so i think we just call and accept that uh we're not going to do that well after the flop but i think we can pick up seven dollars on ebay 40 dollars in pot after the rake and the flop is 7 of spades, 9 of diamonds, 5 of hearts. Our hero again has king of diamonds, jack of clubs. Hero checks and it ends up checking around. Turn is the 10 of spades, so still 4 players in the pot. Board now is 7 of spades, 9 of diamonds, 5 of hearts, 10 of spades. I'll say first, this is a pretty good card for the hero. I would have had a slight preference for the ten of diamonds. Uh, I would our, our king of diamonds would be uh, um, a nice card to have, especially if a third diamond came on the river. So, if we're going to be semi bluffing here with our double gut shot, which I think that we should, it would be nice to um, to anticipate bluffing diamond rivers as well, and uh, or sorry, bluffing uh, flush rivers as well, and having a card of the flush suit like having the king of the flush suit is really nice in that scenario so um, picking up even though it wouldn't give us a backdoor draw just knowing that we're going to have that king of diamonds blocker on a diamond river would have been nice our hero does choose to semi bluff which i think is the right play um he bet thirty dollars and he says uh 30 30 into 40. he says in the big blind i have so many combinations of value hands including straights, sets, and two pairs. So I want to mix in bluffs of uh, most flush draws and open-ended slash double-gutted straight draws. Uh, I think that's the right strategy. These are good hands to bet. I mean, they're well, they're good hands to bet because they're draws, like they're, they're powerful draws that have good equity when called. Um, they're also good for betting because they do have good equity in general. Like, I mean, the king-jack, you also have two overcards that are potentially live. I mean, I wouldn't feel that great about peeling off, especially a jack, because then there's going to be a four straight on the board. But still, I think like your hand has a fair amount of equity heads up, um, but not enough, I think, to, to check and call. Certainly not enough to check and call a large bet. So typically when you have a hand that has you know, a, a decent amount of equity, like it's a reasonably good hand, but it's not quite good enough to check and call, those hands tend to be um, quite good for betting because once you mix in a little bit of fold equity, then that can be enough to push you over the line from uh, you know, unprofitable to too profitable. So our hero bets 30, and then under the gun limper, min raises to 60 and folds back the hero. Uh so now we're, we are heads up, but we uh, our, our bet got raised, which is not great. And our correspondent, uh, who by the way, I don't know if I gave you the correspondent's name, our correspondent here is named Eric. Uh, so Eric says, I definitely have to call first to realize equity in my double gutter and also to look for further chances to bluff on the river. I would rephrase that a little bit to say, I'm definitely not folding. So I think calling is better than folding, which means we can take folding off the table. I would not rule out jamming here. Um, I guess 404, three betting anyway, I guess it wouldn't have to be a shove. Um, So when it's back to us there's 130 if we call there's going to be 160 in the pot so a pot size raise would be to 220 i guess jamming would be like 2x pot it's not great um i think though that three betting is is a pretty viable option here if the objective is to represent a straight or maybe a set which is the kind of you know he says as the player calling from the big blind those are the kinds of hands that he's representing when he bets in the first place i certainly wouldn't want to rep- uh wouldn't want to three bet with just two pair in this spot even a set might not be strong enough to three bet in this spot um, maybe a set of tens. i don't know if i'd want to three bet any weaker set but um so i mean i guess mostly you're representing straights but you have plenty of straights you have uh 32 combinations of straights i guess 16 jack 8 and 16 8 6 for as an unraised or i mean maybe you're not peeling with like 8 6 offsuit and i think you have a fair number like i would i would even Jack-8 off might not peel with preflop. So maybe we only have eight combinations of straights. That's a pretty huge difference. I was thinking we were an unraised big blind. So with eight combinations of straights, you're not going to get to do a lot of bluffing in this situation. Um, this is definitely among your better bluffing hands. Spades would be very best, but you don't want to 3-bet only with spades because you do also want to um, you want to be able to have bluffs on spade rivers. So if your 3-bets here on the turn were only straights and flush draws, then on spade rivers your range would consist exclusively of sets of uh, straights and flushes, and that would mean that um, you wouldn't be able to bluff on those, on those rivers. Your opponent could just exploit you by folding a lot to your bets. So I do want to do some 3-betting on the turn with hands that aren't spade-spade so that I can bluff spade-rivers. It's you know, As I was discussing earlier, it's nice to have a spade in your hand if you're going to be planning on bluffing spade-rivers. So you know maybe the play here is to 3-bet when you have the king of spades or maybe the jack of spades in your hand, but um, not to 3-bet without it. I think that could be the play. Since we're not going to do a lot of 3-betting in this situation, um, you have to be pretty selective about... you know it, it even, even if you just said, like, I'm going to 3-bet my straight and flush draws, well, that's way too much 3-betting. So you've got to be more selective even within that category. So we're not going to be able to 3-bet all of our straight draws, and I think you're going to be um, better off 3-betting the ones that have a spade in them. That's the way I would approach the situation. So our hero does call. Um, I would say... I'd like to be a little bit more specific. When when Eric says, look for further chances to bluff on the river, I'd like to have an idea of what those are. What What is it that we're looking for? What card do you think is going to open up new bluffing opportunities for you? Um, I think spades are, are the number one. Like I think that's the hand that your opponent is unlikely to have that you very plausibly could have. Other than that, uh, I mean, I think, like, a board-pairing card could, like, I think it's very plausible your opponent has has a set or two-pair, so a board-pairing card isn't necessarily, like, not that you don't get to do any bluffing on that card, but it's not like you suddenly have some big nuts advantage where you can have full houses and he can't, um... A straightening card, I mean, most of the straightening cards improve your hand in some way. I mean, a jack doesn't do much for you, but I don't know that I would bluff a jack really either. Um, Maybe you could. I don't don't really know what bluff opportunities are opening up on the river. I think mostly when you're calling, you're just calling to try to make a straight. I don't think you're going to get to do a whole lot of bluffing on on the river. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second because our, our hero here does end up bluffing. So hero calls, and we see the river with $160 in the pot. It's the five of diamonds. Final board, seven of spades, nine of diamonds, five of hearts, ten of spades, five of diamonds, our hero holding King Jack. No spade for whatever that's worth. Um, I mean, there's only two spades on the board, but we're not like reverse-blocking busted spade draws in the opponent's range, which is an extremely trivial (laughs) strategic consideration that I shouldn't be wasting precious seconds discussing. Our hero says, I check to the villain who bets 75, meaning there's now 235 total in the pot. He has 305 behind, and I shove all in. My rationale is that just as on the turn, I as the big blind have several value hands here. They include jack8, 16 combos, 9-9, 3 combos, 7-7, 3 combos, 5-5, 1 combo, 10-5 suited, 1 combo, 7-5 suited, 1 combo, for 25 combos of hands in total. So I definitely need some bluffs in here. I don't think I can get a full house to fold, so my selection of bluffs will ideally have blockers to the nut straight. Also, I would ideally not block any spade bluffs that the villain might have. King Jack without a spade seems really good for me since Jack blocks the nut straight, and I also don't block their spade bluffs. I might also do this with Queen Jack without a spade. Probably no other hand I can shove as a bluff here. So do you have 16 combinations of jack-eight in your range? I don't think peeling with jack-eight offsuit pre-flop is great. I guess I discussed that already. So I think that should drastically reduce the number of uh, straights that you're even you know, seeing the turn with. Now the bigger question is I don't think a lot of these hands are in your range. In particular, I don't think the Jack Eight. Like I think you should be three betting the turn with Jack Eight. I don't think you should be calling the turn with with Jack Eight. So I don't think you should have all that Jack Eight in your range. Um, I guess the other like the two pairs and the sets I would have just called the turn with. But I think it's more like you have you know maybe nine to ten combinations of hands that you're gonna play for value here, which doesn't entitle you to do a whole lot of bluffing. Um, I'm also not sure that check raising all in is gonna be the play with all of those hands. I think you should consider betting out with at least some of them. Uh, and also, you know, betting out then with doing you're doing a little bit of bluffs when you when you bet out. I suppose if you're choosing your bluffs pretty arbitrarily, it's a bit better not to have a spade in your hand. I still think you're probably going to end up doing too much bluffing if you're going to be in there with uh, all nine combinations of King-Jack, no spade, Um, and then also some combinations of Queen-Jack, no spade. I think that's going to end up with too much bluffing. That's basically a one-to-one ratio of bluffs to value bets, which is going to be too... I mean, it's going to be exploitably high, whether or not... I mean, that could be a good exploit if you think your opponent's going to fold too much. But, um, and then the other question is, you know, how do you divide up hands between uh, donking versus check raising? So generally, um, the hands that you check raise as a bluff should be hands that you think have some showdown value as a um, if the action goes check, check, but that uh, once your opponent bets are no longer good enough to call. I'm not sure that you're going to have any hands that fall into that category here. Um, maybe like 10-8 or 9-8, where you know, you could bet the... I don't know that I would bet 9-8 on the turn, though, but like 10-8, I think, is plausible, where you have top pair and open ended straight draw, so you bet the turn, and then your opponent min raises, and you call. And now on the river, there's like an outside chance. Your 10 is good, so you check. And once he bets, you're like, okay, well, 10's obviously not good, but I blocked pocket 10s. I blocked 10-5 for whatever that's worth, so I guess I can... Um, I guess I can check shove the bigger issue here. And I mean, I guess I just, I mentioned blockers, but I would say that the way Eric is thinking about what he wants to block on the river is a bit backwards. So he says that, um, since he's not trying to get a full house to fold what he wants to block is the nut straight and actually it's the other way around right with the hands that you want to block are the hands that your opponent is never going to fold so blocking a full house is ideal you know you would like to have i don't know what is the most likely full house for the villain maybe like pocket sevens or pocket nines like having a seven or a nine in your hand would be ideal because you want to block him from having a hand that he's never folding if you're trying to get him to fold a straight then you don't want to block a straight. The straight is your target. The straight is the hand you're trying to make him fold. If you think he's not going to fold straights, then I don't know what you'd be trying to get him off of. You know, like, I don't know what he's value betting that's like worse than a straight. Um so I mean maybe like 10 9 it's just, it's pretty hard to see what he could be value betting that's worse than a straight. So if the straight is a hand, you're, the hand that you're trying to make him fold, which it seems like is the case, then you don't want to block a straight. What you want to block is the hand that is, that is never folding. Um, so, I mean, that that gets around to a bigger problem of you don't really want to have a jack in your hand when you're, when you're bluffing. Um, I think that probably unblocking a jack is a lot more important than unblocking spades. And uh, the hands that I would want to bluff with here especially if i'm just betting out as a bluff as opposed to check raising would be like busted spades that had no um that had no chance of winning in a check check pot and then my check raise bluffs would be something that blocked straights like ideally if i could have nine eight or eight eight seven um i also think this is a little bit of a they always have it spot i think a lot of people are too nitty when it comes to betting the river so just for exploitative reasons you know that like the check raise bluff mostly punishes people who make thin value bets and I think a lot of your opponents aren't very good at making thin value bets so you can kind of exploit that by just not doing a lot of check raise bluffing um so it could just be that this is a spot that you want to under-bluff. Regardless, I think you're probably going to end up over-bluffing with the approach that you're taking here. And in particular, you know, I hope it was helpful to hear that explanation of how to use blockers in, um, in making your bluffing decision on the river and thinking about what you want to block. He says the villain ended up snap calling with jack eight of spades for the nut straight. Um, I overall think it was pretty unfortunate that they had the exact hand I was trying to block out with my bluff choice. I also think that I may not have chosen the best player to pull this play against since I think a tighter player could have folded to a boat. Without a read on their specific tendencies, however, I think I made the best decision in this hand. What do you think? I uh, don't know if I have a lot to add to that. I think I've already addressed the the blocker thing, um, and then the, the, the other thing that really jumps out at me is a sort of glaring thing in the hand is not even considering three betting the turn, and you're in particular not considering that you would want to three bet the turn, and maybe you wouldn't. Like I don't know if you would have three bet the turn if you had a straight, but I think you definitely should. Like at this stack depth, you you need to 3-bet the turn or check-raise the river to get all the money in. And the problem with trying to check-raise the river, well, there's a few problems. I mean, one is that the river might end up being like a spade or a board-pairing card where you can't play your straight as strongly anymore. The other problem is that your opponent might not bet the river, right? So when you try to just call and check-raise the river with your nut hands, you put a lot of power in your opponent's hands. You let your opponent choose whether or not um, you're even gonna get that opportunity. And that's a dangerous thing to do. When you have really strong hands, you wanna make sure the money goes in. And uh, if if it's gonna take multiple bets to get the money in, then you need to keep making those bets. So I think that you wanna be three betting the turn with a lot of your stronger hands. This may or may not be a bluff that you wanna include in that range, but I think it's at least worth considering. Thanks very much, Eric, for writing. Thank you, Nate, for uh, your participation in the first half of the episode. Thank you, YagasMurf, for your awesome email. Uh, Thank you also to... Who sent us the PLO8 hand? Rob! Thank you, Rob, for the PLO8 hand. Thank you, everyone, for enduring a strategy solo strategy segment. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon.
0: of a car my the light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you won't